Well, we are still in our sermon series that we started last week that we're going to do for the month of August, where we're going to explore some of the stories of the most faithful people that we see in Scripture, hoping that by looking at their stories, we will better be able to discern what it's going to look like for us to be the faithful person, to be the faithful people, the faithful church that God is calling us to be. So I found myself thinking this week, and I promise you'll figure out where I'm going with this once, once I get around to it, but I found myself thinking this week that we all have things in our life that we love, that we absolutely love, that we like can't really get enough of, that you don't really want anyone else to know that you love. Do you have something like that in your life? Like it's your little secret that you deeply love this thing, like that you're a little embarrassed about just how much you like it, or maybe it's something that you used to make fun of other people for liking, but then in secrecy you kind of checked it out and discovered, oh wait, this is, this is way cooler than I actually thought it was. For me, let me set the scene for you. I was in seminary. I was out in Dallas for seminary. It was my first year. I was out there alone. So I was kind of lonely. I was swamped with readings and with papers. And so my schedule was all wacky. And I was drinking coffee way later than I normally did to try to read and write, which led to me getting back to my apartment, sometimes at 10 or 11 at night, just absolutely wired, right? Having just finished a paper. And I needed something to help me unwind. And do you know what my go-to TV show became to unwind? The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross. I think I, I got a picture of him up there. Throw him up there, Trey. The legend. Yeah, that's right. Like, that guy, I mean, the denim, oh, so good. The afro, like the most soothing voice on the planet. I don't know what it was, but for about a year there... I could not get enough. It was like every single night I would come home, put it on Netflix, because it was on Netflix for a while, y'all, and watch like a couple of episodes of Bob Ross just to help me kind of come down from that, from that seminary stress. And I don't really know what it was about it. I didn't like take a sudden interest in painting. I didn't have this desire to go and paint. I don't know what it was about his show. I don't know if it was his painting or, or his voice or his presence but it, it was, and I think it, it kind of still is, because I still watch him every once in a while, to be honest, one of the most soothing things to me. I don't know if it's because he just rolls with his mistakes when things don't go according to plan, or, or his embrace for the imperfect, or how much he clearly loves what he got to do uh, when his show was on air. I went back and watched some of his clips, and I found this quote, and I love it, right? We don't make mistakes, just happy little accidents. I mean, come on. How can you not love that guy? Like, ugh. When you boil down his show, though, right, all it is is 20 or 30 minutes of just watching him paint. The show starts and the canvas is blank, or maybe he's done a little bit of shading on it. And then you kind of zone out a little bit, and before you know it, you're looking at an actual, at an actual painting that you watch him do with just a few colors of paint and a few brushes. I think Madison was the only person that, that knew that about me up to this point. So that was, that was a big deal for me to share that with y'all. She's, she's turned the corner a couple of times in the living room and caught me like absolutely locked into the TV with Bob Ross on and just cuts me a look and then walks out of the room. I love Bob Ross. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. I think I should probably be him for Halloween this year. I mean, it's my namesake after all, right? It feels good to get off my chest. Whew. I feel like y'all know more of the real me now, now that you know how much how much I love him. 
So I promise that'll connect later. Or maybe it won't. Maybe I just wanted to share that with you. I don't know. But we're going to read our scripture now, okay? So last week we looked at Abram. And we looked at this encounter that he has with his nephew Lot, where they decide to split ways because they have too much stuff, and Abram gives Lot the better land. And this week, we're going to look at Moses. So kind of see what I mean about the giants of the faith. Next week, we're going to look about look at the Israelites going through the Exodus, and the week after that, we're going to look at Rahab. But this week, we're going to look at Moses, and specifically a part of Moses' story that I'm betting that all of you know and are familiar with is Exodus 3, verses 1 to 12. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame and a fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great side and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good, spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen the Egyptians oppress them. Now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So let's remember Moses' story. He is born in Egypt at a time when all of the Hebrew baby boys are supposed to be killed by decree of Pharaoh because Pharaoh thinks that the Hebrews are, are getting to be too big of a people to still remain slaves. And so Moses' mom tries to save him by putting him in a basket made out of reeds and floating him down the Nile. And, and it works. Moses ends up being found by Pharaoh's daughter in the river. Pharaoh's daughter goes and finds Moses' mother who nurses him and then gives him back to Pharaoh's daughter. So Pharaoh, um, Moses ends up growing up in Pharaoh's palace. And one day when Moses is grown, he witnesses an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew slave, abusing one of his people and Moses can't control his anger and so he actually kills the Egyptian. I don't know if y'all realize that but that comes just before what we read. He kills the Egyptian. He buries him in sand. Pharaoh finds out about it and says that he's going to find Moses and kill him and so Moses flees town. He gets out of Egypt. He escapes Pharaoh and he goes to the land of Midian and that's where our scripture picks up 
for today, Moses is fresh out of Egypt, living a new life, living a good life, I think, watching over the flock of his father-in-law when suddenly he's minding his own business and he looks around and he sees a bush that's on fire. But it's different because the bush is definitely on fire, but the bush is not, is not burning up. And it catches his attention and he stops and he, he takes a little bit of a closer look. And as he begins to walk towards the bush, he hears the voice of God calling out to him. And God, God tells him to take the sandals off of his feet because he's on holy ground. And then God tells Moses this plan. This plan that I'm assuming Moses has been hoping for for years and for years and for years. This plan that that God has heard the cries. He's heard the cries of Moses' people, of the Israelites, of those who have been enslaved under Pharaoh's hand, and that God is finally planning. He's finally going to do it. He's finally going to set those people free and lead them to the land that was promised long ago to Abram. And when I read that part of the story and I, and I read God saying that to Moses, I can almost see Moses' head nodding and maybe a smile beginning to form on his face. Because, right, I mean, this has to be what Moses has been praying for, what he's been hoping for. But then there's a catch for Moses. The catch is that God reveals that the way he's going to do all of this is by sending Moses back to Egypt, to Pharaoh, to the man that Moses just ran from, to the man that Moses knows wants to kill him, that he's going to send Moses back to Pharaoh and that somehow through Moses, God is going to free these people from the grips of Egypt. And the first thing out of Moses's mouth when he hears that from God is, why me? Did you catch that? I mean, the first thing out of his mouth, this is what he says, who am I that you should send me to Pharaoh? God, what makes you think that I can do this? Moses believes, I think to put it simply, right, that he is not good enough. He's not good enough to go and do what God is calling him to do. I think here we see Moses make a mistake that we have all made before. God is calling Moses to go and do something extraordinary, to grant freedom to a nation of slaves that are under an evil and corrupt monarch, to grant freedom and identity to a powerless people, a people who have been in slavery for almost 400 years, generations and generations of oppression. And Moses' first thought is that he is way too ordinary to be doing something so extraordinary. He seems to think that it'll take an extraordinary person to do this extraordinary thing that God is calling him to do so that God must have the wrong guy. He must have been expecting some other herder to walk by the burning bush because surely Moses thinks it it can't be me that God expects to go and do this. Man, I I think we're really good at selling ourselves 
short. I think we are. I think we're really good at at tricking ourselves into thinking that we are too ordinary. That we don't have the answers or we don't have the skills or the strength or the vision or the ability or whatever it is to go and do what we feel like or what we know in some cases God is calling us to go and do. We trick ourselves into thinking that we are too ordinary for God's extraordinary vision for this world, but also, friends, just just for our life. We trick ourselves into thinking that we're not enough. And if we're honest, I think oftentimes we use this way of thinking as a crutch or as an excuse to not go and do something difficult that we feel like God wants us to go and do or something that's scary or something that makes us fearful or something that we feel like we don't have control over. And instead of saying yes, we say, oh, I, I, I don't think I can, I don't think I can do that. I think it's really important to notice how God responds to Moses' excuse. Notice what God does and doesn't do here. God doesn't try and convince Moses that he is worthy of this calling. God doesn't spend time rattling off all of Moses' leadership skills or what a good speaker he is or how great his faith is or how everything in his resume up to this point, all of his accomplishments have led him to this calling. Now, all of that may be true, but that's not what God says. Instead, God's response is this. I'll be with you. You're the person for the job. You're going to be able to do this because I am going to go with you. I'll go with you. Moses, you're not, you're not going to be alone. Moses is enough for this calling upon his life because God will go with him. Which means that really it has very little to do with Moses' own ability. It has everything to do with what God is going to work and move and produce through Moses. What I was reminded of this week looking at this story and, and listening to Moses doubt his calling, because if, if you keep reading the rest of Exodus 3 and 4, you see Moses gives four or five other excuses for why God shouldn't send him. This is just the first. But when I read that and I, and I began to hear my own voice and Moses's voice of doubt, what I was reminded of is, is that God is not looking for extraordinary people. God's just looking for ordinary folks who are willing to follow him. That's what I couldn't get out of my head this week, reading this story. It's not where I expected to go with the message, but it's just what I couldn't get out of my head. Why do we think that God is looking for extraordinary people to do extraordinary things when over and over again in Scripture we see God call ordinary people? And because God goes with them, they go on to do these amazing things. God is simply looking for ordinary people who are willing to say yes. Who are willing to trust that God is with them. This story, among other things, is just yet another reminder in our scriptures, and we have plenty of them, friends, that our God is in the business of taking the ordinary and transforming it into the extraordinary by his mercy and his grace and his presence. Just the little background information that I gave you on Moses, if you did not know of him before, you now know that he has a temper, 
that he is a murderer, that he runs when things get hard, that he isn't a good speaker, that's one of his excuses later on, and that he seems to have a whole lot of self-doubt, and yet God is going to use him to free this people. The more I thought about it, I think maybe, I think maybe that's one of the reasons I'm so drawn to, uh, to that show, The Joy of Painting, with my guy, Bob Ross. And, and maybe that's why it lasted 31 seasons. Did y'all know that? Maybe that's why there's 403 episodes. Because people just simply can't get enough of watching the ordinary become the extraordinary. There's something captivating about it. Because when you boil that show down, that's, that's all it is. It's an ordinary guy with a pretty ordinary sounding voice with very ordinary jokes, no matter how much I love him, with paint and with brushes that you could buy in any store that suddenly become waves and sunsets and trees and rolling hills and and mountains and, and everything in between. It's just a way that we can see before our eyes something ordinary becoming something extraordinary. We see God doing this when we celebrate our sacraments. We're going to get to celebrate both of them this morning, but we see this both in baptism and in communion. In baptism, we see it in the water that we use, that that through this water, this life source, this substance that covers the majority of our planet that we are, that we're made of, that comes out of our faucets, that something so ordinary God can use to grant new life. That through one of the most common substances on this planet, God uses it to fling the doors of grace open and welcome folks into the family of God and wash them clean. On this table, it's just, it's just bread and juice. It's just bread and juice. But we believe that because of this bread and because of this juice and because of the invitation that God gives us to come to it, that, that God will use these elements these ordinary, everyday elements, and that they will become vessels for grace, that they'll become sources of forgiveness and and wholeness and redemption. Because when you see, friends, with God, it's really not just some paint and a canvas. With God, it's not just water. It's not just bread. It's not just a table. It's not just juice. And our story, right? It's not just a bush, is it? And Moses isn't just Moses, no matter how convinced he is of that. The question is, why do we think that we are any different? Why do we think that we're any different? God wants to do the same thing with our lives that he did with that water. He wants to do the same thing with our lives that he's going to do with this bread and this juice in just a few moments. God wants to do with us what we see him do with Moses and so many others in the story of Scripture. To make us vessels of hope. To use us to give hope to the powerless. To fill us up so that we can be vessels for grace. All we have to do is say yes. All we have to do is say yes and trust that when God says he's going to go with us, he's actually, he's actually going to do it. 
If we want to be the faithful people that God is calling us to be, I think we have to be able to see that it is just not about how ordinary we are. It's not about our limitations. It's not about our doubts. It's about the willingness to trust and to believe that no matter where it is, God is calling you, just like we see with Moses. God will go with us. And because of that, friends, we can go with confidence, knowing that God will use us and grow us to be the people, the faithful people that he's calling us to be. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in The Gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.